Luke 24. So we're going to look, look at Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. Luke 24. So if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Make sure you have one. You're going to want one to follow along. Um, if not, turn in the Bible you have or your electronic device to Luke 24. Then we're going to read verses 13 to 35, and then we're going to pray again, and then we're going to get into it. Luke 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which uh, they were going. And he acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them uh, gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what was happening, uh, what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And Father, we pray that you would help us to see Jesus this morning. Father, we pray that we would recognize that you dwell with us by your Holy Spirit. Then, in a very real way, Jesus is with us here. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're with us here. Help us to see you. Lord, we pray that you would cause our hearts to burn in, in, in the reality of who you are and what you're doing in our lives. That we would want to know you, that we would want to experience 
the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, rising us from the dead. Give us that heart, Lord. Give us that desire. And work that work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, Amen. Amen. One of the ways the scripture describes us as Jesus followers is pilgrims and sojourners. As people who actually don't belong here. We're just passing through. That that we are going from a, a place of recognizing we have a new and better citizenship in heaven. As we're walking through this earth, we're going to that place and, and longing for the time when we will be with him in the city whose maker and builder is God himself. That we're just sojourners. And I have to say, this is one of the, the, the best benefits of leaving your home culture and coming to another culture is recognizing that, that really this is not our home. Because I know Sarah and I feel this way, maybe not our kids so much, but Sarah and I feel this way that when we go back to America, it doesn't feel like home. Being here doesn't quite feel like home, and this is good for us. Because home is where we're going to be with the Lord forever. And so in a very real way, that image, that sort of metaphor of of being a sojourner, a pilgrim, it really fits with our life. That we are on a road home. And so when we pick up this, this story, a story that's really uniquely unpacked by Luke, and we see that these disciples are going home, and they're in a very difficult place. They're on the road, and it's, it's important that we see that Jesus meets them on the road. He reveals himself to them on the road. We're, we're taking a long time. We're taking at least three weeks, aren't we, about, about looking at the resurrection of Christ, the historicity of the resurrection of Christ, the the impact of the resurrection of Christ. And one of the things that we're going to see today is that because Jesus is alive, we can hear him speak. I don't necessarily mean in an audible way, but I mean in a real way, a substantial way, where we know that the God of the universe who sent his only begotten son, that that God speaks to us by his spirit about his son as we walk this road. And so we want to talk about that today. We want to see in this picture of of these disciples walking to the road to this village called Emmaus, we want to see how Jesus speaks to them. And the first thing we notice in verses 13 to 24 is that Jesus is going to speak to his devastated disciples. And it's important that we see that these people are, these disciples are really feeling devastated by what happened. Notice it says in verse 13 that they're, they're walking to this place uh, named Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile walk. It's significant because seven miles would take a, a healthy man about, about two, two and a half hours to walk. And so there's a bit of time here for them to kind of process what's happened. And, and it, Luke tells us in verse 15 that they were talking and discussing together. And the, the, the English words there feel a little bit kind of casual, like, what would you think about Jesus dying? Yeah, that was kind of a, a bad thing. What about all the politics going on? This is not a casual conversation. There's an intensity to these phrases that we don't see in English. An intensity that's like, they're just kind of going, what's going on? What's happening to our world? I think we felt a little bit like that over the last couple of years. <laughs> Where we, when we discuss things, we might be fairly calm in how we discuss them, but internally we're going, what is going on with our world? And this is what they're feeling. They're feeling an intensity about what's happening. 
And it's significant in verse 16 that, that, it's, that, that Luke wants us to see, verse 15 I should say, and 16, that Luke wants us to see that Jesus himself drew near. So this wasn't an apparition. Uh, this wasn't just a kind of a sense of something happening. The, the resurrected Christ is literally drawing near. And, the, and, and it's, you, you kind of think Luke's being a bit cheeky here. Like, like the, the people who would read this go, gosh, can't you see it's Jesus? And, and it says really clearly in verse 16 that they can't. In fact, here's the, the words it uses. It says uh, in verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now there's some Bible commentators, some uh, scholars who would say this is what's called Oh, I just dropped the phrase. I should have wrote it down. Basically, this is, this is indicating that God is saying, I don't want you to see Jesus yet. That he's blinding their eyes on purpose for a reason. Others say, no, this is just their unbelief. It's probably a little bit of both. But the reality here is that they are, Jesus is, is with them, but they're unable to recognize him. And if we're honest, this is kind of our state when we gather together in his name or when we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. We know conceptually that he's with us, but we don't recognize him near us. And so what happens in verse 17 is that we read this, that Jesus asks them, you kind of get a picture of, of their walking this road, having this intense conversation, and Jesus kind of doesn't quite overtake them, but gets right near them as he listens for a while. And so he asks them, what is this conversation you're holding together? And it says they stood still looking sad. This is not just like a, a numb face. This is the real, this is the devastation. That, that when, when Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? They're, they're kind of like, what do you mean, what are we talking about? Do you, do you know how, what just happened? Do you know how serious the, the, the events of the last few days are? How, how could you ask, what are we talking, what else would we talk about? They're devastated by his death. And so this is why we read in verse 18, that, that Cleopas, one of them, we don't really know who the other one is. Some say it was Luke, which I don't think is a good, uh, good guess. But others say it's Cleopas's wife. She's mentioned in another gospel. But, but Cleopas, he's the one who does the speaking. And he says, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? How could you even ask me this question? And I love what Jesus does in verse 19. He says, what things? Now, this is not Jesus being cruel to people that are devastated. This is not Jesus being cheeky. This is Jesus wanting them to process their devastation. Wanting them to think about what it is that they've just gone through and what God might be doing in the process. Sometimes what we, we, we forget is when it comes to our relationship with God, it's not transactional, it's relational. I mean, there are transactions in a sense that are, are, are spoken of in Scripture. The fact that when we choose to say, uh, when we come to faith in Jesus and we say, Jesus, I believe that you've taken on my sins and I believe that God's given me your righteousness, there is some sort of a transaction there, so to speak. But it's so much bigger than that. And, and even when we, the way we, we relate to God, it can't just be like, okay, I've said my prayers and I'm waiting for you to do something. Or I've come to church and I'm waiting for you to respond to me. As if it's kind of like I put my coins in the vending machine and I pressed better life 
and it came out. It doesn't work that way. Often when we're going through the most difficult parts of our life, not only is Jesus with us, but he's wanting us to process what we're going through. He doesn't just say, let me just give you a quick answer to make you feel better. He wants us to actually process what we're going through. And this is what he's doing with these guys. Now what we're going to see in these verses from 19 and 24 is really one of the reasons they can't see Jesus for who he is. But besides the fact that God is obviously wanting to do something here. God's wanting not just to teach them a lesson, but teach us a lesson. But, but what's going on here is that their expectations actually blurred their perception. They were expecting certain things, and those expectations were keeping them from seeing Jesus right in front of them. And they have to process this. Look at verse 19. In verse 19, uh, Cleopas says this. He says, um, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. See, they did expect this about Jesus. They expected that when God would send his chosen king, that he would, according to Deuteronomy 18, he would be another prophet. That Moses said, God will bring another prophet like myself. And he would be mighty in word and deed. In other words, he would do miracles like Moses did miracles. He would speak authoritatively the way Moses spoke authoritatively. So they expected the Messiah to do this. And he did this. So there Jesus actually met an expectation. Look at verse 20. In verse 20 we read, um, uh, and, and he says, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Now this is something they didn't expect. They wouldn't expect the leaders who were telling them the Old Testament scriptures, telling them what it means to be in covenant with God, that those same leaders would say, he's not the Messiah, crucify him. They didn't expect that. Now they should have expected that, because the scripture talked about that he would be despised and rejected. But they didn't expect this. So they, it didn't make sense to them. Look at verse 21. He says, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Now that was a, a good expectation. But here's the problem. They're, they were expecting a different kind of redemption. Their view of redemption was political. That he will come and he will Make good all that's been bad. That we, here we are oppressed by the Romans and when the Messiah comes, he will make that right. And they were excited because Jesus showed the kind of supernatural power to, to give endless provision for what you need to be in war, to, to, to have power over even demonic spirits and even over death. So if you're killed in battle, boom, he could raise you from the dead. And if there was a sickness, he could say the word and you'd be healed. And they're thinking, this is the dude. He's going to lead us to victory over Rome. We're finally going to be redeemed, but then he was crucified. So there they had the wrong view of what to expect. They were expecting the wrong type of redemption. And then in verses 22 to 24, he brings up this issue of, uh, of the fact that the women had gone to the tomb. It was empty. We talked about this last week, did we not? And, and basically that even um, that, that they had heard an angel say he's not... Uh, uh, he's the, don't seek the, 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 the living among the dead, and he's not here, he's risen just as he said he would. And, and they're saying, we don't even know what to think about this. They definitely were not of expecting he was going to be alive, yet they should have. We saw this last week, right? They should have expected, because Jesus said it on many occasions, that he would be crucified, he would be betrayed, crucified, and then rise again the third day. They should have expected. 
Now, the reason this is important for us to see is because as what happened to these devastated disciples so happens to us, often in our devastation, our perspective gets blurred. We just can't see Jesus in the middle of the pain. Where is he? Where's this God of the Bible that we hear about on Sunday? Where's this ever-present help in time of need? Where, where is he? And part of the problem is, is that we often have the wrong expectations. In a very generic sense, but very applicable to us, Peter talks about this, this the fact that, that we, we can be so kind of surprised by the difficulty of life as a Jesus follower. And here's what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. But this is what we all do, all of us. I do this on a weekly basis. Something happens that I wasn't expecting, and I go, God, where are you? But God has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. The issue is, just because we can't recognize Jesus in a situation doesn't mean he's not there. In fact, often what he's doing, and, and, and when he calls us to, to pray this out, there's a, there's a scripture, and I didn't, it's not going to be um, on the screen, but you can look it up later. I think it's Psalm 62, where the psalmist says, pour out your hearts before God at all times. And it's a picture, really, it really fits with what they're doing here. When he says, what things? They're going, these things! All these things! And they pour out all these things. Don't you see the Lord's preparing them for what he's about to do for them? He's preparing them for how he's going to reveal himself to them in a way that's going to blow their minds. Listen, the reason I, I wanted to, to, to highlight the fact that these are devastated disciples is because Jesus is not minimizing their difficulties. He's meeting them right there. This is what our resurrected Savior does, meets us right in our difficulties. Now, some of you are almost as old as I am, and so you can, you can look back on your life and you can remember things that the Lord has done that at the time you thought, this is it. I don't know if I'm going to make it through this or I, I, I don't know where God is in this. Maybe, maybe God's real, but he doesn't want me. And now you look back and you go, wow, God, you were doing something really good there. I, I, I'm not even going to give you an example because there's too many, but there's so many times this has happened in my life, I have to say, where at the time I'm thinking, there's no way this could be what God wants for me. Or there's no way... That, that, that you can tell me now that God's actually with me in this. And then you get through that and you look back and you go, the Lord was there. And I'll tell you what, the best times or the quickest ways for me to see the Lord is when I process that devastation the way Jesus is having these guys process theirs. So what happens next? Look at verse 25. So then in verse 25, here's what, what, what we see happening. Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Now again, this is not Jesus being harsh. But this is something that we really need to see. Listen, do not miss this, okay? Because what Jesus is going to do here, we're seeing, is he's going to feed their faith through the scriptures. 
I want you to just kind of think about how profound this is. That the resurrected Christ doesn't just say, as he did to Thomas, touch the scars in my hands. Touch the hole in my side. He doesn't just do as we'll see next week. Look, I'm eating it. It's really me. He says, look, I want you to know who I am. I want to feed the faith that's been there through the scriptures. In fact, in verse 25, when he says this, uh, you, know, you know, how foolish they are to be so slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken, is that Jesus is saying pretty plainly here that he expects his followers to believe all the Old Testament. He didn't just say that, did he? Even the stuff that looks like genocide? Even the things about creation? Even, even the stuff about all, all the injustices and, the, and the, the sexism and the misogyny? There's no way we're supposed to believe that. Yes, you're just not supposed to emulate it. But we're supposed to see that this is what, what was recorded for our benefit. We'll talk more about how we benefit from that in a second. But listen, there's no way that we can get around. Listen, you, you don't have to believe in Jesus in the sense of, uh, you have a choice that you can say, I don't want to believe in Jesus, okay? We can't force this on you. We don't want to force this on you. But I want to say this to you, okay? This is really important for you to see. If you're going to follow Jesus, then you have to see. It's really plain here. He expects you to believe the scriptures. You have to see that. Even when the Apostle Paul, again, it's not going to be on the screen, but you can look up later. Even when the Apostle Paul talks about what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15, you can look it up later, 1 Corinthians 15. It says really plainly that here's the gospel. That which I received, I also give to you that Christ died according to the scriptures. That he was buried and rose from the dead according to the scriptures. It's gospel. It's foundational. And this is not like a a burden. This is God being clear to us. He's saying, you don't have to guess what I want you to know about me. I've said it. I've spoken through the, 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 the prophets and the apostles, and in this last day, I've spoken the most clearly through my son. It's all in there. What happens in verse 26? After Jesus says that to him, he says this to him, listen, was it not necessary, this is the resurrected Christ saying this to these two disciples, was it not necessary that the Christ should, that's God's chosen king, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, let me ask you a question. This is a test. You ready for a test? Was it unjust, was it unjust for Jesus to be crucified? That's a hard question, isn't it? <laughs> the answer is actually a yes and no. It's a yes. It was completely unjust for those men to condemn him and crucify him. Jesus did not deserve the cross, but it was also completely just because the just one God allowed himself to absorb all of our sinfulness on himself at the cross so he can be just and justify us. Render us innocent. Jesus is saying this really clearly. Listen, he's, he expects us to see. He's underscoring the necessity of his death and resurrection. It's not just the ABCs. Sometimes we treat like, okay, yes, that's the, the very beginning. I believe Jesus died for my sins, rose from the dead. Okay, but I want to get into the big meaty stuff. No, no, no. The fact that Christ died and rose from the again is the A to Z of our faith. Everything else flows from that. 
You want to understand how the Holy Spirit works? You've got to understand Christ crucified and resurrected. You, you want to understand what God's doing in your life? Why, why you, you go through what you go through? You've got to understand Christ crucified and resurrected. Jesus is saying to these disciples, the resurrected Christ is saying, listen, don't you understand it was necessary? The whole Old Testament testifies of this. Verse 27. And it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, Jesus is really clear. The resurrected Christ is really clear, really, really clear to his followers that he expects them to see him as the central message of all the scriptures. Uh, when I was doing the CU uh, weekend away, I was doing a, a workshop there. S- someone was really funny, uh, really funny uh, young woman. She was hilarious. But she, she says, oh, I know who you are. You're, 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 uh, you're that guy from that kind of weird church. <laughs> he says, you guys like teach through the Bible. That's weird. I thought that was funny. That was kind of true, too. We are a little bit weird. She probably doesn't really know the half of it. But, but here's the thing, listen. There's a, there's a method to our madness. There's a reason we do this. And it's, a lot of it is, is what we see here. Jesus is testified of, our faith in him is built up in seeing him from Genesis through Revelation. And the reason we teach through whole books of the Bible, and we don't always do this, the next series we're going to do is actually not going to be through a whole book of the Bible. It's going to be jumping around at different places. But the reason we tend to do this is when we want to say, okay, what does this scripture say about Jesus? What do we pull out from the scripture? So we're not going to start with our, I, I, our own idea and say, what does the scripture say to prove my idea? We start with the scripture itself and say, Father, what do you want us to see about Jesus from this? Are you guys following me? This, this is what I, I feel like is, is my conviction that I, this is what I'm meant to do as a pastor. Is to say, this is Jesus, the Jesus of the scriptures. And one of the reasons is because what we see here about Jesus. Now listen, one of the mistakes that we can make as people who, are, who really value the book is that we could look at the book and we can get so caught up in the details that we actually miss Jesus. We, we don't see the forest through the trees, as the saying goes. See, the outline of the forest, the purpose of the forest, the path through the forest is, is Jesus. The trees are important. We learn stuff from the trees, so to speak, but all the, what's really important is seeing Jesus. Jesus said this to uh, the religious leaders of his day. He said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is, it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Do you see what he's saying? You, you search the scriptures. He's not saying that's a bad thing, but he says you think that the scriptures themselves give you eternal life. It's not the scriptures that give us eternal life. It's the Jesus of the scriptures that gives us eternal life. Amen? So what Jesus is doing here, as he, after, as he speaks to these devastated disciples, is he's going to speak from the scriptures and what I believe is in reference to the sacraments. Now look at verse 28. In verse 28, here's what we read. 
So they drew near to the village to which he was going, and he acted as if uh, he, would, he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. It's toward evening, a day's far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. Now what's happening here is, is, is um, that these disciples are actually just doing what is culturally expected of them, and that is to be hospitable. Uh, to not be hospitable in a first century uh, sort of Mediterranean culture was to be dishonoring to your entire family lineage. You need to be hospitable. Now, here's what's interesting. In this context, what's happening? Their commitment to hospitality is providing a context for them to see Jesus. And the reason I want to highlight this to you is because, you know, the Bible commands us as New Testament Jesus followers, the Bible commands us to be hospitable. Listen to this. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I love that because Peter's so honest, isn't he, the way he says that? I love the way he says, I love the fact that if you kind of just look at it, love covers a multitude of sins. What's the implication there? There's going to be a lot of sins that need to be covered among Jesus' people. And when he says, listen, when he says, and show hospitality without grumbling, what's that mean? That we'll feel like, oh, if I have to. It's so honest about how we are. But it's so important too, because you know what the word hospitality literally means? The literal translation of the word hospitality in the original language is to love strangers. There's something about when we are willing to break out of our cliques and our comfort zones and get to know new Jesus followers that prepares us, that provides a context for us to see Jesus like we haven't before. I know we're all a bit sketchy about hospitality right now because of the pandemic. I totally get that. I totally get that. But as we can do cautiously, safely, as we can and are able to do with a clear conscience, we need to be hospitable, specifically to those that are strangers to us. So they do this. And what happens? Verse 31, verse 30. So, so, so when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished out of their sight. Oh, man. No, no. There, there are different opinions about this. I want to be really clear. Some people say, a lot of Bible commentators would say, this is simply just a meal. It's not meant to shadow or point to the Lord's Supper. But I have to say, I find that kind of hard to accept. Because what they see is not just they're having a meal together, but they see that he's breaking bread. At the same time, listen, at the same time, the early church, the first Jesus followers, they didn't separate having a meal together and remembering the Lord's Supper. They had what that, that was known as love feasts. They would come together. That, that they would bring a huge meal together. It was also a way that they could provide for uh, the poor. So the, the wealthier people would bring more food to make sure the poor had a really good meal. At least one time a week, they had a really good meal together. And the highlight of that meal was to break the bread in remembrance of Jesus, to drink the cup in remembrance of Jesus and what he'd done. There's no separation between those two. Now, now listen, this is what we see was the, 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 the practice of the early church, Acts 2.42, right? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, uh, or the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
They were committed to this. Why is this important? Because Jesus does want to reveal himself to us in a real important and, and I guess I'll just say a mysterious way through the breaking of bread. I'm really not a mystic. That's not my personality. I'm more of a cynic and doubtful and want evidence. But I have to say, the longer I study the scripture, the more I, I see this. And, even, and it just this is confirmed by church history, okay? But the more I study the scripture and I see this confirmed by the earliest church history, there is something mysterious that we can't explain that happens when we as Jesus followers partake of the bread and wine. The the. the unleavened bread and this crushed grape. When we're doing that in remembrance of Jesus, that he's somehow connected to that. I'm not saying it changes into his body. I'm not saying that he wraps himself around. I don't know what happens, but I do know there's something mysterious there where we're meant to have fellowship with him and our eyes are open. Maybe it's as simple as we remember, except through him, we'd have no access to the Father. But the reality is here, in this context, Jesus speaks... He speaks through the scriptures being interpreted, expounded with him at the center, and he speaks through the breaking of bread. That's what we see happen. Can I ask you a really simple, honest question? Do you expect God to speak to you when you come to church on a Sunday morning? I know you expect to hear a sermon I know you expect to sing songs. I know that at least on some Sundays you expect to remember the Lord through communion. I know you expect good coffee. You're welcome. <laughs> but do you expect God to speak to you? Because that really is the expectation we need to have. This is really how you should be praying for myself or any other brother who preaches up here. Lord, would, you, would we not hear his words, but your words? We want to hear you speak. We would see Jesus. It's, it's so funny, isn't it? In that kind of, it's so normal and so uneventful and so not exciting. But so where God wants to show himself is when we come together and say, Lord Jesus, speak. And not just on a Sunday morning. What about when you open God's word to yourself. Do you realize the reason, this is a fact, the reason you can read, if you can't read here today, uh, and I mean this seriously, I don't know, there could be someone here who can't read. If you can't read here today and you'd like to learn, we'd love to show you how to read. Or if you can read and you just never do, which I know this is, this is really getting more typical that people aren't illiterate, they're illiterate, they just don't read. But if you, if you can read, do you realize the reason you can read was because there, there came a time where followers of Jesus thought everyone should read so they could hear from God in the scriptures. That's where public education got its, its first impulse. This is why God sovereignly has allowed you to know how to read so you can hear God speak through his word. So Jesus speaks through the scriptures and the sacraments. What else? We see here now, Jesus also speaks through his convinced disciples. Look at verse 32. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? Interesting how Jesus just disappears after their eyes are open. 
It's like all they needed to know was that he was resurrected. They didn't actually have to commune with him uh, you know, in his new glorified body. They just need to be assured that he is indeed alive. And they, they say, this is, the, this is the thing, man. They say, man, our hearts were burning. In other words, here's what's going on. They recognized his voice before his person. Isn't that interesting? Maybe this is kind of where you're at. Maybe, maybe this is, is kind of the Christianity is a bit new to you or you're kind of filled this out. And there's truth. You, you, you sense something real and right and true about who Jesus is and what he's done. You have that sense, but you don't yet really know him or see him as he is. You're in good company if you're in that place. And there's good news. You don't have to stay in that place. You can actually know him. See, here's, here's how the author of Hebrews says it. He's actually quoting Psalm 95, and he says, The Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is, this is really what a part of our fellowship is, and this is encouraging to listen. It's hard to hear sometimes what God has to say, but let's not harden our hearts because all that God says to us is truth, and it's truth that liberates us, it sets us free. Let's not harden our hearts. Let's listen and respond. And so what do they do? Verse 33, it says, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Now, we don't see this in the Gospels where uh, so much where Jesus appears to Simon, but Paul's really clear about this again in 1 Corinthians 15, 5. You can look that up later. And it says, and they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Do you, do you see those, the, the clarity that, that Luke's bringing to us? They rose, they found, they told. There was an intentionality to what they did. They rose, they found, they told. Guess what, church? It's time to rise. It's time to find who will listen. It's trying to tell them. It's time to tell them that Jesus is alive. It's time. It's time. This is not a shameless plug. This is a, what's the opposite of shameless? Proud plug. This is an intentional plug. We put together these Christmas services, not just so you guys have something nice to do at Christmas. It is nice. We do some really fun stuff for Christmas, but that's not the point. The point is that there is a, an opportunity for you to, to be intentional about praying for and inviting people to come to one of these services. It's not just getting them to church. We don't want to tell them about church. We want them to know about Jesus. We want them to know Jesus. In fact, listen, if you go to invite somebody, they say they're not interested, but it creates a conversation and you leave that person to Jesus and they go to another church, guess what? I'm over the moon about that. It's not about getting them into servant's church. It's about introducing them to the servant, Jesus who came to die for them. But we make like, we had like a thousand of these printed. You know why? So you could take some. You could pray, Lord, who am I supposed to ask? Who am I supposed to invite? Who, 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 who am I willing to invest in? Because here's the other thing, too. Don't invite people to church and then ignore them when they get here. Or ignore them after they've come. Ah, did my bit. No, no, be intentional. See, see, here's the reality, okay? They shared what they knew of Jesus. 
They shared what they knew. They rose, they found, they told. The news that he was alive was too good to keep to themselves. What about us? What about us? Listen, I, I, I'm not pretending that it's not radically intimidating to try to talk to somebody about Jesus. I really do get that. I really, really do. Especially initiating a conversation. I have been a Christian for 34 years, and, I, and I, I'm feeling a lot more comfortable now than I, when I first did. But when I first did, I was a bull in a china shop, man. When I first became a Christian, I was so excited, but I was a bull in a china shop. Do you know Jesus? You didn't know Jesus. Whoa. Back off, dude. Now I'm a bit more subtle. It's more of, a, more of like saying, what, you know, why are you here? You know, you're obviously not from Norfolk. Why are you here? Oh, I, I brought my work. I came here for my work. I just worked down the street. You know that church? I work there. Oh, that church. Is it a church? Oh, yeah. It's, well, what is it now? Well, it's still a church. I'm a pastor of a church. And then I might say, do you have any kind of a Christian upbringing? Oh, no, no. Well, what do you think about? So what do you think about God? Sometimes it goes nowhere. They just kind of go, I think I don't want to talk to you. And they walk away. <laughs> but sometimes, listen, sometimes they go, well, I, I don't really know. I, I used to think it was all rubbish, but, you know, there's been this pandemic, and I, I want to believe something's something bigger out there? The point is, listen, the point is, we don't believe in cunningly devised fables. We believe in the resurrected Savior of the world who speaks to us when we're willing to listen and speaks through us when we're willing to rise and find and tell. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to respond to you, Lord. Help us, Father, to, to not just hear this and walk away. Help us not to harden our hearts. Lord, we, we can be devastated by the things that bring doubts and difficulties to us, but Lord, we want to believe you are who you've shown yourself to be. We want to know you. Help us with this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you guys go today, and please grab tons of these flyers. We don't care if they all go. Pass them around to your neighborhoods, whatever. We'll, we'll make sure that we make space for everyone, so please take some. But just a couple of things to kind of uh, encourage you in so you can respond to. One is I, I really want you to, to consider... Uh, are you willing, and this is a serious challenge, are you willing to spend 15 minutes a day, five days a week, reading the New Testament? If you do that, you will have read through the whole New Testament in a year. This is kind of why we devised our Bible reading plan this way for the church. You read the whole New Testament in a year. Are you willing to do that? 15 minutes a day, is really not just like you reading it. It's actually you reading it, even maybe reading it out loud, even reading it prayerfully. Jesus, I believe you're alive. I believe this is to speak about you. Show me what I'm supposed to know about you and how I'm supposed to follow you. Teach me what I need to know from this. 15 minutes a day, I guarantee you, most of you spend more time on social media than that a day. So if you're willing to hear some guy talk about, if you're willing to watch stupid cat videos, you should be willing to read the New Testament for 15 minutes a day, all right? Are you willing to do that? And also, th think about this. 
The reality is Jesus is alive. How should that affect your Bible reading? If he's alive and as we saw today, he wants to speak through his word, shouldn't that impact us? Shouldn't that make us expectant that God wants to speak to us? Amen? So I just want to challenge you with those couple things. Hope to see you guys next week. There might be some tea or coffee left. And uh, make sure you say hi to each other, okay? God bless.